Welcome back, friends. So glad you could join us. We continue our discussion of the 16 documents of Vatican II. And in this episode, we're going to look at the decree on the ministry and life of priests. This was the final document that the Council Fathers had discussed at Second Vatican Council. And it concerns the ministry of the priest. In previous documents, we discussed the role of the bishop, the role of the laity. Lumen Gentium also covered the role of the Roman pontiff, the pope. We looked at the religious. We looked at the role of non-Christians in, in our relationship to them. And today we're going to look at the role of the priesthood. In paragraph one of this beautiful document, we are told, through sacred ordination and mission which they receive from the bishops, priests are promoted to the service of Christ the teacher, priest, and king. You have to remember that Jesus had a threefold mission, his threefold office, or munera, as it's called in Latin. He was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was a king. In the Old Testament, there were three principal characters, three principal ideals that the Messiah would epitomize in the fullness of. And so in the Old Testament, we have priests, we have prophets, we have kings, but none of them would take any other role upon themselves. King David, King Solomon were a king, but they would not be a prophet. We have priests like Melchizedek, we have the um, order of Levites, we have Aaron and the priesthood of the temple, but they were not prophets or kings. And of course, we have the prophets like Isaiah, Amos, and Jeremiah. Yet in Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of all three, priest, prophet, and king. And so the priest sanctifies, the prophet teaches, and the king rules. And so too, in holy orders, that threefold munera, or office, mission of Christ, is communicated to the priest, likewise to the bishop, and to the deacon. To be a priest means to sanctify, especially through the holy sacraments. To be a prophet means to teach, especially the teachings of the magisterium, the deposit of faith. And to be king means not to wear a crown and sit on a throne, but to give leadership, to be a shepherd. And of course we see this beautifully in the person of the bishop, who is the chief shepherd of the diocese, but also in the parish priest, particularly the pastor, who is a shepherd of the local parish. And so this document shows us that that threefold ministry of priest, prophet, and king is extended in a very special way to those who receive holy orders. The document goes on. In the nature of the priesthood, in paragraph 2, the function of the bishop's ministry was handed in a subordinate degree to priests so that he might be appointed in the order of priesthood and be co-workers of the Episcopal order for the proper fulfillment of the apostolic mission that had been entrusted to Christ. Hence, the priesthood of priests, while presupposing the sacraments of initiation, is nevertheless conferred by its own particular sacrament. Recall when we looked at Lumen Gentium, we talked about the common priesthood of the faithful. Everybody by baptism shares in some way in the priesthood of, of Christ to sanctify, to teach, to give leadership, especially by Christian witness, by living a good Christian life. But there's also the ordained priesthood, the ministerial priesthood, which in a more intimate and sacramental way, this priesthood is personified and experienced. We read in the New Testament, the apostles, who in their successors are the bishops, they felt the need, especially when 
the Christian community got larger and larger to appoint men to help them. So they anointed and laid hands upon men that they became deacons, Stephen being the first deacon and martyr of the church. Among the deacons who helped the priests, I mean helped the bishops, the apostles also saw a need to also help in a very special way and this order of presbyters, elders, which we call the priests. The priests were not bishops. They did not have the fullness of holy orders. But unlike the deacons who took care of the poor, who took care of the widows, who served the bishop in a liturgical manner, the priests would celebrate the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist, in each town. The bishop couldn't get there by himself. The bishop was unable to go visit every single place by himself. And so the priest was the co-worker of the bishop, sent by the bishop, working in the name of the bishop, always in harmony with him, whereas the deacon was always with the bishop himself in that special ministry. We're reminded that the sacrifice of Christ, especially the Eucharist, is the central action of the priesthood because the priest acts in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, as an alter Christus, another Christ. That's why I, as a priest, when I celebrate Mass, I use the very words of Jesus himself. This is my body. Now, obviously, it's not my body, Father John Trujillo. It's Jesus' body. But I use those words, the first person, singular, this is my body, because at that moment, Jesus is using me. He's speaking through me. In the same way when I hear confessions, and I tell people those beautiful words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I absolve you. That's Jesus who's absolving those sins. I'm acting in persona Christi as another Christ. The document will go on that the place of priests in the world, we stand between two worlds, the religious and the secular, between heaven and earth. A priest is one who offers sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. That's why in the Catholic Church we call the ordained ministers priests. We just don't call them ministers because in the Protestant tradition the ministers, the pastors, they perform a very important function. They lead the people in prayer. They teach them, instruct them, but they don't offer sacrifice. The priests of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church do offer sacrifice. They offer up the bread and the wine which become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. They offer Jesus to the Father through the Holy Spirit on behalf of the faithful. And so we use that word priest because it's one who offers sacrifice because Jesus himself was priest. When you look at the crucifix, you see the priesthood of Christ beautifully displayed for us because as priest, Jesus offers the sacrifice on the altar of the cross. As prophet, Jesus preaches from the pulpit of the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as a king, he rules from the throne of the cross. When the good thief says, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And on the top, of course, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Ureorum, I-N-R-I. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So the cross becomes his altar as priest, his pulpit as prophet, his throne as king. And it's the cross that we're reminded of at the altar, the altar of sacrifice, where the Eucharist, Jesus, body and blood, is offered in an unbloody fashion, but it's the same sacrifice. It's not a second, it's not another one, 
It is the same Jesus who's presented there, but in an unbloody manner. The document in paragraph 4 tells us, It is the first task of priests as co-workers of the bishop to preach the gospel of God to all men. Now there's a footnote here that reminds us, going back to the um, Lumen Gentium and on the document of the bishops, that the bishops themselves have the primary duty of preaching the gospel. When we look at the Latin text of this document, Presbyterum Ordinis, we see the Latin phrase that's used is primum habet officium. Now it's important to note why the Latin uses the word primum. The word primum means first, as opposed to principalis, which would be rendered primary. First in the order of time, chronology. So when we say the first task of the priest is to preach the gospel, it doesn't mean that celebrating the sacrifice of the Mass is secondary. What it means is, before someone can celebrate, before someone can actually participate in the awesome sacrifice of the Mass, before a person can receive communion, they have to first hear the Gospel. So the priest must preach the Gospel, people must hear the Gospel, they must receive the Gospel, and then the Gospel is unfolded for them on the altar. So when the document says the first task of the priest is to preach the Gospel, it's the first thing in order of time that must happen. And yet it always refers to the Eucharistic sacrifice. So that I as a priest, the most important thing I do all day, the most important thing I could ever do in my whole life, would be to celebrate the Holy Mass. And yet within the Mass, we have the preaching of the Gospel itself. The document goes on. Priests then owe it to everybody to share with them the truth of the Gospel, in which they rejoice in the Lord, Therefore, whether by their exemplary behavior they lead people to glorify God, or by their preaching proclaim the mystery of Christ to unbelievers, or teach the Christian message, or explain the church's doctrine, or endeavor to treat of contemporary problems in light of Christ's teaching, in every case their role is to teach not their own wisdom, but the Word of God, and to issue a pressing invitation to all men to conversion and holiness. The priest isn't there to give you his opinion. He's there to give you the teaching of the church. When he's not in church, when he's not preaching the gospel, when you catch him in the parking lot and you want to say, Father, what's your opinion? Then he can give it to you. But when he's standing up there at that pulpit, when he's teaching a class like RCIA or Adult Ed or CCD, when he's writing articles or letters and signs his name, Father so-and-so, he must give the teaching of the church because he's a representative, as St. Paul would say, an ambassador of Christ and of his church. We're also told in this document, by their fulfillment of the divine office, priests themselves should extend to the different hours of the day the praise and thanksgiving they offer in the celebration of the Eucharist. Priests are obligated, as are the deacons, to the liturgy of the hours, which is also known as the breviary or the divine office. All the psalms of the, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, Old Testament readings, beautiful prayers that have through the last 2,000 years have been prayed by priests, nuns, religious, deacons. A priest is obligated, the day he's ordained a deacon, to commit himself to praying. this. It's the official prayer of the church. In union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which the priest should say, celebrate every day, he should also say and pray the divine office. Paragraph 6 tells us, priests exercise the function of Christ as pastor and head in proportion 
to their share of authority. Remember, it's the bishop who has the fullness of the priesthood. So the bishop's the one who assigns the priest. He's the one who says, Father, I'm sending you to Hershey. I'm sending you to Middletown. I'm sending you to Rome to get a degree. I'm sending you to the hospital, to the prison, whatever. It's the bishop who calls the man to priesthood. It's the bishop who ordains him to the priesthood. And it's the bishop who assigns him to his place in the priesthood. On the day of ordination, there's a beautiful part of the, of the celebration of the sacrament in which the, the man to be ordained kneels before the bishop, puts his hands inside the bishop's hands, and looks the bishop eyeball to eyeball. And the bishop asks him, do you promise respect and obedience to me and my successors? And the man must say, yes. And so he's promising that he will do what the bishop asks of him. And the bishop, of course, has to conform himself to the gospel, to the teachings of the church, and to the authority of the Holy Pontiff himself. Let's look more at the document. A spiritual power is given to the priests, a power whose purpose is to build up. Why does the priest have these supernatural powers? Not that he can read minds and leap tall buildings in a single bound or chase speeding trains like Superman, but he's got the power to absolve sin, to change bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, to bless, to exercise. Why does he have these powers? To build up the people of God. It is for their benefit that he has these spiritual powers, not for his own aggrandizement. It should never go to a priest's head that, wow, I can do these things. Why can I do these things? For the people's sake. They need to be fed with the bread of heaven. They need to hear the word of God. They need to receive the sacramental grace that comes to them through all seven sacraments. So I have these powers, these faculties, for their sake. Because if there were no people to serve, there would be no reason to have a priest. And yet the people know that without the priest, there is no sacrament. There is no Eucharist. There is no confession. There is no anointing. No matrimony. Going on, therefore, with paragraph 7. All priests share with the bishop the one identical priesthood and ministry of Christ. Consequently, the very unity of their consecration and mission requires the hierarchical union with the order of bishops. The bishops are to regard the priests as brothers and friends and are to take greatest interest that they are capable of their welfare, both temporal and spiritual. They should be glad to listen to their priests and even consult them and hold conference with them about matters that concern the needs of pastoral work and the good of the diocese. Priests, for their part, should keep in mind the fullness of the sacrament of order which the bishops enjoy and should reverence in their person the authority of Christ and Supreme Pastor. The bishop has to be connected to his priests. The bishop is not just the one who ordains them and assigns them, but he's their spiritual father. He's the one to whom the priest must go when he needs help, spiritual guidance. Not just to find out where am I going to go next, not just who's going to sign my paycheck, but to see the bishop as his pastor. And the bishop needs to see his priests not just as employees, not just as people in the corporation, like the bishop being some kind of manager and then the priest being uh, the hired help, but that these are his co-workers. They're brothers in the priesthood because the bishop is as much a priest as the priest. He's got the fullness of the priesthood, yes, but these are also his brother priests. This is beautifully displayed for us at the Chrism Mass in the diocese when all the priests of the diocese gather around the bishop and he blesses the holy oils that will be used 
for anointing of the sick, for baptism, for confirmation, ordination. The bishop blesses those oils in the presence of his presbyterium, that's the Latin for the priesthood of his diocese. And they gather around the bishop, and the priest can celebrate the Mass with the bishop. And a beautiful sign of solidarity going on in chapter 8. Associations of priests are to be highly esteemed and diligently promoted when by means and rules recognized by the competent authority they foster priestly holiness in the exercise of the ministry through suitable and properly approved rule of life through brotherly help and so aim serving the whole order of priests. Priests need each other. We need to form associations, fraternities. I myself and Father Levis belong to the confraternity of Catholic clergy. Other priests belong to other groups, fraternity of priests, fraternity of Mary. There are so many different ways in which priests can get together. Very informally sometimes, sometimes there's lots of structure. I'm also a cooperator of Opus Dei. There's priests who come on annual retreats, days of recollection. But whatever it is, the priests need to get together, pray together. So many times the parish priest, unlike the religious priest who lives in community, has his brother priests and religious to pray and support him, many times the parish priest, the diocesan priest, is by himself, or maybe there's just two of them in the rectory, but they're so different in personality that they basically just work together. Vatican II wants to remind us that we should build these bonds, these bridges between priests, not just between age groups, not just between ethnic and cultural ties, but because of holy orders. My brother priests are connected to me, they're connected to each other, and we're connected to the bishop. So we need to support each other. It's imperative that priests pray together. Priests need to go to confession. Priests need spiritual direction. Priests need to spend time before the Blessed Sacrament to pray the office. And, of course, to be devoted to Our Lady, who is the Queen of the Clergy. Paragraph 9 tells us, even though priests of the new law by reason of the sacrament of order fulfill the preeminent and essential function of father and teacher among the people of God, and on their behalf they are disciples of the Lord, along with all the faithful they have been made partakers of the kingdom of God. Therefore, priests occupy the position of leadership as men who do not seek things that are their own, but the things that are of Jesus Christ. The relationship of the priest to the people is not that he is an overlord, He's not a feudal baron, and these are serfs. The priest, as Jesus tells us, must be the servant. And as Pope John Paul and Popes before him have took that beautiful title, the servant of the servants of God, the priest must be a servant to the servants. He must take care of their needs. He is not their master. Jesus is the master. And yet the priest also, because of his very unique role in the church, he alone can confect the Eucharist. He alone can absolve sin. People have some esteem, respect for the priesthood. Sadly, because of modern times, either misinterpretation of the council, some horrible scandals we've had, the prestige of the priesthood has dropped. Some of it needed to be, because people saw it as a class structure. Fathers up there next to the lawyers and the doctors and whatnot. No. But on the same level, we use the title father. So many times people say, the scriptures say, call no man father. So why do you call a priest father? What do you call your mother's husband but father? When Jesus says, call no man father, he's talking about, do not replace God the Father with anybody else. 
and yet we still have people we call father. Our dad is our father, and the priest is a spiritual father because Holy Mother Church gave birth to us in baptism, feeds us in the Eucharist, but the priest as the spiritual father, like the role of Joseph with Jesus as he was growing up, as the role of my dad when I was growing up, gave guidance, helped and supported Mother Church in our development. This beautiful document, therefore, goes on to tell us that we should have a proper distribution of priests. For this reason, priests of dioceses which are blessed with a greater abundance of vocations should be prepared gladly to offer themselves with the permission and encouragement of their own ordinary with exercise of their ministry in countries or missions or tasks that are hampered by shortage of clergy. Paragraph 10. Therefore, in a diocese that's large and there's lots of vocations, they have to be aware that there are other places, even in our country, where the priests are so few, they need help. And so maybe for a few years, three to five or ten, a bishop can loan out some of his clergy to a mission diocese. My diocese of Harrisburg, we're only 11% Catholic. My home diocese of Erie is much higher. There's places like in Birmingham and other parts of the country where the population is even lower, and yet the number of priests are fewer. The Catholic population is beginning to increase, but there are not enough priests to go around. And so we have to share the wealth, in a sense. We're also reminded of priest care for priestly vocations. Where do vocations come from? Because young men see a priest in his parish or in his school, his college, and if he sees characters, if he sees people that he wants to emulate, or if he sees someone that this just treats this as a job, a career, what's going to motivate him to want to be a priest? When I was growing up, there was people like Father Levis that when I had him in class, when I saw him celebrate Mass, when I went to him for confession, I said, I want to be like that. Like my pastor when I was growing up, Monsignor Conley. When I saw how he loved the Eucharist and Our Lady. So people like Monsignor Conley, Father Levis, inspired me. I wish I could be half the priest that they are. And yet I'm thinking all the time to myself, when I'm celebrating Mass, when I'm preaching, when I'm spending time with the kids, I'm hoping somebody says, I would like to be like Father John. Not that it gives me an inflated ego, but that somehow I'm encouraging them to respond to vocation God has given them. We're also told in this document, parents, teachers, and all who are in any way concerned with the educations of boys and young men are to train them in such a way that they will know the solicitude of the, of the Lord for his flock and be alive to the needs of the church. Parents have to encourage Put the idea, have them think about, maybe perhaps God is calling your son to the priesthood. Ask him, did you think about that? Would you think of Father's sermon today? Wouldn't you like to do that yourself someday? Would you like to be a priest? It doesn't matter what age the priest is. As I mentioned myself, my pastor was much older than I was, and yet there were also younger priests. I had a cousin who was a priest, Father Katarzynski, whom I just adored, and Every time he would visit our house and sit down with us, I saw he was human like us, but he was also a priest. And that gave me such encouragement. The priest is called the holiness, we see in chapter 3. Because he's configured to Christ as an altar Christus, he must be holy because he's going to handle holy things. That's why the priest's hands are anointed with chrism oil by the bishop. It used to be an ancient custom where after the priest had his hands anointed, 
they would put a manitergium around them and that cloth would wipe off the oil and then they would hand the priest would hand that to his mother and she would be buried with that cloth. The pious tradition was once she got to heaven, she'd wave that cloth saying, I'm the mother of priests. And they say, oh, you're coming right in. You suffered enough. I gave one of those cloths to my mother because I'm indebted to my mother and my father for my vocation as much as I am to Father Levis, my cousin Father Steve, and Monsignor Conley. So priests must realize because we're called to holiness, we're calling our people to holiness, we must become holy. Not that we think we're saints already. We're not. We're sinners. We need to go to confession. We need to pray. So the priesthood is one that is very essential to the church. Not because we're so important in our own personhood. Not that we're big shots. But because we provide an essential and necessary service to the church. We're reminded that celibacy in the Latin church is not just an obligation. It's a gift. Yes, I have no wife. But I do have a spouse. It is the church. In Pastoris Dabo Vobis, Pope John Paul reminded us, Jesus loves the church as a groom loves the bride. I, as an altar Christus, a priest, must love my people, my parishioners, as if they were my bride. Therefore, celibacy isn't something negative, it's something positive. Priests like bishops are to use the means at their disposal for the sanctification of themselves and for others. Whatever I have, my material things, even though I don't take the evangelical uh, councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I'm allowed to own things. I must use them wisely. I cannot be frivolous with what I have. I have to be concerned with the poor as well as with my family. Priests are also to be exhorted to always, as this document beautifully concludes, to turn to Our Lady. She is the queen of the clergy. She is the one to whom the apostles gathered at Pentecost. And so to the priest, every year on the anniversary of my ordination, I rededicate myself to Mary. And every priest should do the same because she is the one who will lead us to Christ the High Priest, the one to whom we owe our priesthood itself. This document gives us such a beautiful picture of this role in the church that cannot be duplicated in any way, shape, or form. And yet it's a very fearful and awesome thing. Pray for your priests always. Thank you for your kind attention. Please tune in again. May God bless you and Mary keep you.